This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now, what do you say to a Christian whose assurance of salvation is always like a pendulum? Do I have a pendulum there? Okay, supposed to have a pendulum up there. A person commented, I feel somewhat assured on Sunday after serving in this and that ministry, but by midweek, my assurance has shaken when I fall into sin and look just like the rest of the world. What do you say to a Christian who's, who questions her assurance as a Christian because she fights a lifetime of unwanted sinful desires? A serious Christian who felt totally messed up by repeated sin once said this, God must be so tired of hearing my same prayer again and again that he must have stopped listening long ago. And what do you say to a Christian whose assurance of salvation is threatened whenever he or she is confronted by their sinful nature? Or perhaps we don't have to go too far to find a Christian to ask that because that could well be our own experience. Do we ask ourselves the same question whenever we are confronted by our sinful nature or when we are, when we fall into sin that, am I really a Christian? Am I really saved. Now, when we behave very Christianly on Sunday, but totally opposite when we are in the office, when we never lose our smiles on Sunday, but we always lose our tempers at home, when we struggle with habitual sins or just unexpected sins that pop up and you fall into it and say, I thought I've got better than this. Or when we look back at our long history of Christian life, if you have been a Christian for a long time, and you see just trills and trills of traces of sin that was behind you, perhaps those moments of disappointment, discontentment, the envies, the coveting, the pride that you have, or I have, the bitterness, the razor blade tongues that we have, that's so good at hurting each other, idolatry, all kinds of sin, and then the words of Paul from Romans 7 back um, seven days ago resonate back to us when he cries out, What a wretched man or woman I am. <laughs> that in the face of our past regrets, in the future anxieties as we have to face sins, what can we say to deal with the insecurity of our Christian assurance? Well, this is where we arrive at Romans 8 after a long journey from 1 to 7 as Paul brings up the most assuring words Christians need to hear. Because where the, the law has failed back in Romans 7, here we looked at Romans 8, the Holy, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God will achieve. In fact, this is how Romans 8 verse 1 begins. Look at verse 1, the very assuring words of Paul. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> so as we come to Romans 8, the first part from verse 1 to 17, this is our title for today, and is this, Christian Assurance When Confronting Our Sinful Nature. Next week, we'll hear Paul unpack Christian assurance when confronting external forces of suffering, even death. But today, the first half of Romans 8, 
we come to think about the Christian assurance when we are confronted with sin that's internal. In fact, let me just give an overview of today's passage from 1 to 17. There are three parts to the assurance that God speaks about. Um, I've just put it up there as to help us follow along today's journey. From verse 1 to 4, it speaks about our new position in the Spirit Himself. Verse 5 to 11 speaks of our new condition in the Spirit. Verse 12 to 17 speaks about our new obligation in the Spirit. So there are three aspects, our position, our condition, our obligation. And we'll see as we journey on today that assurance for Christians does not give us license to sin, but in fact it does the very opposite. It allows us to fight against sin with great assurance because we will be doing it in the Spirit of God. So with that, let's begin with me as we look at verse 1 to 4 on our new position in the Spirit. Let me read verse 1 and 2 again, and um, if you have your bulletin, keep it open. It'd be great because we will follow along from there. Verse 1 of Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because through Christ Jesus, (coughs) the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So when we come to believe in Jesus, when we, we are those who are in Christ, we are also those who are now united with the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that point, when we are united with Christ, the Spirit of God comes in to dwell with us. <coughs> and when the Spirit comes in to us, He applies what Christ has done on the cross and continues to work in us to set us free from the power of sin, which has led to death, which we have looked at in the past weeks, and uh, to bring us to life. Or to put it another way, when we come to believe in Christ, when we are in Him, there is a definite change in our position. There's a decisive change from us being those who are condemned to be those who are not condemned. There is a decisive change in our position from being a slave to sin and death to be free from sin and death. And this is what happens to us when we become Christians. And it's important for us now that we must remember it is Jesus Christ who has done this uh, from non- no condemnation to uh, from condemnation to no condemnation, from being a slave to being free. Because otherwise we will never be assured that we will not be condemned because we'll always be shaking depending on how we are on a particular day. But with Christ and being assured that it's He who has done it, our position stays even on the worst day of your Christian life. So the works of Christ on the cross securely apply His works. Uh, the Holy Spirit applies Christ's work on us. And it's this that will keep us from being shaky on times that we struggle and face sin, on times that we will fail. So now look at verse 3 and 4 as Paul starts to unpack further what the gospel of salvation looks like. We'll think about these two verses for quite a fair bit. So let me read um, from verse 3 and we'll think further on the position that we have achieved or Christ has achieved for you and for me if we are in Him. Let me read verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of flesh of sin, to be a sin offering so that he condemned sin in the flesh. 
No, we have seen last week. What we saw, we saw last week that the law was good. It's good. Uh, we see goodness in the law, but our flesh, but ourselves, our sinful nature, we can't keep the law. So we look helplessly at the law, and the law looks powerlessly at us. That is the great exchange of uh, the look we have with the law, and it looks back to us. You know, the law is like the MRI uh, in the doctor's room, which helplessly looks at us and points that we've got serious death-announcing heart disease, but it's just looking at us help powerlessly, and we look at it helplessly, waiting to die. This is what verse 3 is saying, the law was powerless to do us any good, because it's totally weakened by the disease in us. It just displays for us, but it's unable to help. But here's the point, just when all hope seems to be taken away, something amazing happens in the doctor's room, like someone amazing comes in, God comes in, he comes in with a solution for our dying heart. He comes in with the solution, he comes with his own son, and God knows, he knows how serious is the problem, he knows someone needs to die because the heart is dying. The difference is he comes in and says, someone's going to die, it's not going to be you, it's going to be him. There'll be that great exchange, you get the good stuff, he gets the dying, diseased heart. So God the Father comes in, He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, in our world, like the, in our likeness of our human weakness. That's what it's saying in verse 3 and 4. That meaning Christ can be tempted, He can suffer, He can even die, in order to be that sin offering for us. And Jesus, like becoming like us, willingly take our place so that we can have his place. So the readers of Romans, if, if they're just familiar with the scriptures, they are actually very familiar with sin offering. I don't know if you are familiar. If, if someone in the Roman times, they have scripture, they'll be familiar because Leviticus talks about sin offering because that's how it goes. You get a, 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 a perfect lamb and you bring a, um, to God's people and they supposedly put all their sins on him and so that the lamb suffers and they get away. And that's exactly what happens on the cross. But this is the reality rather than the symbol that the lamb had back in Leviticus. So the verse 3, look at it, that God condemns sin in the flesh of Christ when he dies on the cross. In verse 4, in order that we can finally meet the righteous requirement of the law. So as you look at verse 3, the question is, who does the work? And the answer is, God does the work. And so this is the summary of how salvation happens from verse 1 to 4. This is a summary. Okay, just look at this for a moment. God the Father sent God the Son. He comes to die on the cross. And when He dies, God the Holy Spirit comes into those who are in Christ. And He takes what God the Son has done and places it on us so that we can have His righteousness. So our salvation to be saved, our position, is not done by us. It's not by us keeping the law, but it is achieved powerfully by the work of the triune God. God the Father with sent God the Son, who comes and dies for us, and God the Holy Spirit comes into us and takes the work of God the Son and applies it to us. We need to know very clearly that our position has got nothing to do with our ability 
to achieve the law. Because for a moment we get confused with that, so does our assurance shakes with our capability. So this is the summary of the gospel message here, that it is Christ that we receive the very assurance of our new position in the Spirit when we are in Christ. <coughs> now I just want to pause here for a moment and perhaps ask you and me a question. And the question is this, are, are you in Christ? Am I in Christ? Because for a moment, if you think that you are not, and you have never done a spiritual MRI on your heart, I think it's about time that we do it. Not going to MRI doesn't solve the issue, but rather we need to come to God's Word, open up God's Word, and the MRI scan of God's Word slides bit by bit into our hearts to show every little bit of things that looks hidden from all other people so that we reflect the spiritual disease that we are and to realize that we are desperate and we come to Christ to deal with that, to come to God for rescue. And to realize that great exchange is the only way for us to recognize our new position is secure, not by our works, but by His. But if you and I, many of us here, if you and I are Christians, then I pray that this new position of no condemnation sticks with us. Because here's what the devil is good at doing. He always does two things. He either shows you that your sin is not great, you don't really need to deal with it, or he shows you that your sin is so bad, there's no cure for it. It goes too extreme. And as a Christian, we need to be aware from our MRI that it's bad enough. But we need to be secure in Christ enough to know that our position is unshaken, even on the best, in the worst day that we have, <coughs> that we can need, we need to keep turning to God and trusting in what Christ has done. Because God will no longer condemn those who are in Christ. So here's the first one. We have to hold on to this new position that we are, we have in Christ. So with that first layer, we move on very quickly to the second layer of a Christian assurance and is found in our new condition. We don't change the position itself, but we also change our condition. And it's changed. Look at verse, uh, it moves on from verse 5 to 11. But before I jump right through 5 to 11 and get us confused, I invite us to just look at verse 9 first, just to get a clear picture that Paul is talking about two kinds of people. Uh, which will be compared through 5 to 11. So I'm going to read verse 9, look at it briefly, and we can understand from 5 to 11 onwards. So if you have your bulletin, look at verse 9 as I read it for us. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So there are two kinds of persons, the person without the Spirit, the person with the Spirit. And, and notice that verse, four, verse 9 does not tell us this. It's not telling us that Christians in Christ can belong in both realms of the flesh or spirit, they jump around on different day. It's saying there are two kinds of people. So verse 9, if you look at it, it's clear that it's saying that if we are we have the Spirit of God in us, we belong to Christ, and we are in the realm of the Spirit. If we do not have the Spirit of God, then we do not belong to Christ, and we are in the realm of the flesh. (laughs) 
So if you can get this picture of this 2% clear up there, then as we look at verse 5 to 11, we'll not get confused that it's talking about a Christian jumping around from being flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit, but it's talking about two different kind of people. So with that, have a look at verse 5 with me on the person who does not have the spirit. Verse 5, it says, Those who live according to the flesh, meaning sinful nature, have their minds set on what the sinful nature desires. So when a person who does not have the spirit, he or she, her mind, or mindset, if you like to use the word, is totally loyal to the sinful nature and all it desires. So this um, mindset is not just about our, our mental thinking, it is the whole of us, our will, our affection, our desires, the whole identity of who we are. And a person, when their mindset is loyal to the sinful nature, the sinful nature controls everything that this person relates to and with. This person is, um, is reactive to how others relate to them, and this person's audience is really the world and themselves rather than God. So that is the mindset that will rule a person who is loyal to the sinful nature. Perhaps an example will be that external is more important than internal, that how people view us is really more important than how God deals with us. Because this is the immediate, and that is who knows what. That is the mindset of one that is ruled by the sinful nature. And perhaps so self-centered, one who is ruled by sinful nature is, they, they could even create gods that seem to worship. You can imagine. But these gods, at the end of the day, really worships them. Meaning you can have this god, I'll give this god this thing, so that you can give me something back. So you can create all kinds of gods. It could be fertility, it could be safety, it could be... Fortune, it could be any kinds of God that you can create. But at the end of the day, whatever the people give to this God, they're actually not giving to them. They're wanting this God to serve them with whatever power they have. That is this mindset of one who's ruled by the sinful nature. Look at verse 6. It tells us that a person whose mind is ruled by sinful nature has death as his or her destiny. In fact, in fact, this mind, this person's mind is so ruled by sinful nature, it is hostile towards God, the real God whose purpose doesn't revolve around humans. From verse 7, they, they can't worship this God who does not worship them back. A person whose mind is ruled by sinful nature does not want to submit to God's law. In fact, they cannot submit to God's law. If a mind of a, a person's mindset is loyal to his or her sinful nature, he or she will take the side of sinful nature and will rebel against God. It can reflect in all kinds of ways in life, but at the end of the day, God is not the center. The sinful nature is incapable of being God-centered. A person whose sinful nature rules him is incapable of having God in the center. That's why verse 8 says, those who are in the realm of the sinful nature cannot please God. And this is the condition of one who does not have God's spirit in him. <coughs> However, if, if we are in Christ Jesus and we have his spirit in us, then we have a totally new condition when we become a Christian. 
Look back at verse 5 to 11 again, and this time around we examine the mindset of one who lives in the Spirit. So verse 5, but those with the Spirit, they have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Those who are in Christ Jesus, they will recognize this change of condition, this new mindset, and this new loyalty. It has changed. Again, our mindset, it doesn't just refer to what we are thinking for a moment, but the whole being that we are, our thinking, our will, our affection, the, the focus, the center of our being. And here is Paul says, our mindset, if we are changed, wants to please God. And our minds are set on what the Spirit desires. <coughs> now, to put it clearly on our everyday life, there will be times that we will struggle. There will be days that we may even fail to please God a few times in that one day. But in our new condition, this is something that has changed. We do want to please God. We do want to desire what the Spirit desires. And we do grieve when we go in the opposite direction. Sin is no longer neutral and pride no longer owns us. Even as pride comes in, you struggle with it because that is no longer your boss. We want to please God not because He's that genie that can serve us when we give Him something. We want to serve God because... We are now related to Him and we love Him. That's the new condition that those who are in Christ have. We want to please Him because He's our God. In fact, because we belong to Him and we want what the Spirit desires. So as the Spirit of God works in us, those sin that used to make us happy, now the next time we do it, it leaves very bitter taste in our lips. Holiness that used to look like foolishness that's being laughed at becomes something that's attractive, that we want to have, and is desirable. And how does that look like in practice? Perhaps some of us may end up choosing not to climb a corporate ladder, but rather to spend time loving people. It could mean that we choose to miss that promotion to keep our integrity. Because now things changed. What is valuable to you now wasn't in the past. It may mean some of us may be excluded in that in-group because you choose not to gossip and in the end you get to be gossiped by them for being a sore tongue amongst them. In fact, you may be people who give up holidays for mission. You'll be giving up money for persecuted churches. Things that you would just spend on yourself or people you like, you now spend on God's people whom you never meet and will never meet in this side of life. Some may choose to be single when they so desire to be married. Some will stay to be married when they want a dissolving of their marriage because things have changed. Their loyalty has changed. There's new condition in their heart. Christians, we may end up making decisions that just look foolish to the world and to our old self, but now they're just attractive and it may be costly because of the new condition of Spirit, because our mindset is now loyal to God. And by His Spirit in us, we slowly desire God more and more. And dear friends, I don't know about you and I, as we think about our condition, about our loyalty, about our mindset, what does it steer to us? There's no really a hybrid. 
There's one that is struggling really hard, but there's no hybrid. We in the spirit or we are not in the spirit. Because I'm not saying we can do everything perfectly or even good, but our desires, our mindset is focused on God. It delights to please Him, and it is a condition that is very foreign to those who are not in Christ. Someone who is not in Christ can't have this desire. That they're willing to do things that are out of the norm and out of their own self for God to be the center. But now there's just one sneaky question by the time we have talked a fair bit. There's one sneaky question about this new condition that will creep in and is there. I put it up there. Now since our mind are set on what the Spirit desires, why can't we perfectly put these desires into action? Let me say that again. Since our minds, if that's true, since our minds are set on what the Spirit desires, why can't we perfectly put this, those desires into action? Meaning, why do we sometimes still fail and fall and struggle? I think we can find a hint of the answer from verse 10 to 11. <laughs> because this is what it is, that although our minds are now set in the Spirit, we are still living in this now and not yet condition. We are now saved, but we are not yet completely saved. We have been transformed, but yet we have not got the body that Christ had when He rose from the dead. So let's, let me read verse 10 to 11. I put it, uh, just a small snippet there, but look at the whole passage and this is what I'm focusing on on the screen. But if this, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subjected, is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives Life because of righteousness and the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Meaning right now, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you, give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit who lives in you. So here's our real experience. The experience of sin can still be physically felt in our mortal bodies. Our body is actually still decaying. We're still dying. Current body is still waiting to give way for the, the future perfect body to arrive. But until then, we will be fighting against the voice of our ex-master because it's not time to hang out our shoes. It's to re- recognize the reality of where we are. In verse 11, it actually points further of our future. A time will come where God will give life to our mortal bodies. We'll have that eternal body that will replace our current mortal body. There is more ahead of us, but when that happens, and when that happens, the tension will will be gone. But for now, the tension is still there with our new condition of spirit and our struggle with sin. So, as we think about this, we now move to think about this tension with sin. And it might even contradict what our normal thinking is, that this tension against sin actually brought us to be more aware that we are saved than less. Let me say that again. This tension we have, we might think that is is bad, but it actually caused us to be more aware that we are saved than less. <laughs> because we now not only have a new position in the Spirit, we have a new condition that is working in us and we are always conscious of the struggle that this new condition has caused us. And that's where we come to the third layer of Christian assurance. And it's this, from verse 12 to 17. There's this new obligation that arises in us 
when the Spirit is in us. Let me read verse 12, 13 for us as we dig into how this link on. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. <coughs> now on the surface, an obligation or a need to obey seems like an awkward way to give assurance. It seems to go the other way. Like it's obligation, there's a chance to lose it. But here the obligation actually increases our assurance. Because here it is, and I think the answer is found in the words by the Spirit in verse 13, if you look at it. How do we put death to death the misdeeds of the body? We do it not by the law anymore, but by the Spirit. Because the Spirit not only changes our mindset, the Spirit also actively works in us now. And in fact, there are two things. The Spirit actively works in a Christian who has a new position and has a new condition. And this, these are the two things that the Spirit does in today's verse in 13, 14. This is, the first one is this, that, that the Spirit in us leads us away from sin. Okay, think of the Spirit in us. He leads us away from sin. This is what verse 13 says, By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. And the second thing that the Spirit does now is to lead us to God. It leads us away from sin and then it leads us to God. Look at verse 14. Those who have been led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So the Spirit leads us away from sin and sinful deeds and leads us to God. In fact, he leads us even further to call God. What does it say there? Therese likes to say this. He leads us further to call God Abba Father. Look at verse, look at verse 15 with me and see the flow and the work of the Spirit in us. Verse 15. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by Him, the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. So as we live out our obligation to turn away from sin and turn to God, we find our assurance because we do not need to go by our own strength. We turn to the one who looks at us and we say to him, Abba, Father. In fact, what comes to our mind when we hear the word Abba, Father? What comes to your mind when you hear the word Abba, Father? Where's the first time you hear this in scriptures? Luke, <laughs> let me send you to Mark. Mark 14, 32-36. <laughs> they, meaning Jesus and his eleven disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to dip, be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he went, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. As we keep this passage of Mark open, I want you to come back to Romans 8.15 and to ask this question. What is the Spirit doing? when he's asking us to call God Abba Father, what is the Spirit doing to lead us away from sin towards God and then call God Abba Father? 
I think there's this to help us realize that God is there to help us. And He sees everything as we are being brought closer to Him. He sees us as His children when we are in Christ. What was once Christ, now we are given in the Spirit because we're in Christ to call God what Christ has called him. Now our Lord Jesus, as he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of that, he cried out, God, Abba, Father, everything's possible. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now there's obvious difference between the Lord, what he's going through, and what we are going through. But yet there is a very similar intention. And it is the desire to please God that is causing us to cry out to God to help us as we are willing to give up everything else to love Him because we love Him. That's what Christ has done. And it's a very intention for us as we call to God. Our obligation is not one to the law, but one to our debt. The one that we can call because of Christ. So as the Lord says, not what I will, but what you will. That's what the Spirit is leading us as we come to our God, our Father. So, brothers and sisters, or friends, do we see what the Spirit is doing and to see the preciousness of what it means to have this new obligation in the Spirit who lead us out of sin to God and then lead us to call God Abba Father? That slowly the Spirit is showing us and leading us to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What was only possible for him, Christ alone, has now been made available to all who are in Christ. So as our new position comes and our new condition and our new obligation, what seems contrary to security lead us to call out to God and find our assurance in the one who we call dead. So brothers and sisters, as we pause here at this third junction, junction, um, I wonder if you, you spoke to God in this way, calling him Abba Father, as you struggle with sin and run towards him. Have we ever been in a situation where the only thing we could ever do is to call to God, Father, Father, can you take this trial from me? It's so hard. But whatever happens, I'll still trust in you that you will make your will done according to your way. This is something that someone without Christ can never say. But this is something that those who are in Christ will speak and sound just like Him more and more. Verse 15 tells us this. <laughs> this is possible only by the work of the Spirit. Verse 16 tells us this. It is possible because the Spirit is testifying with our spirit that we are the children of God. As we look to please Him, we do not need to despair. As we confront with sin, we do not despair. Rather, the Spirit leads us in that most difficult time and struggle to call to God that Abba Father and bring us to mind the Lord Himself who has done the very thing. How amazing it is if we really appreciate the fellowship that we have in the Spirit, the grace that we received 
from the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God in all of this. We say that all the time, every morning in our benediction. But that is what we have. And that is the treasure we have. And so we look on to verse 17 and we start to recognize the Spirit is leading us even further and preparing us for what we will see in verse 17. Look at verse 17. And then lead us to be heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So in our new position, with a new condition, and through this new obligation, the Spirit is leading us and changing us more and more like Christ, and we end up co-inheriting what Christ has. It is with this mindset that the, the last part of verse 17 totally makes sense, and next week will be beautiful. Because verse 17, the second part, becomes a privilege. Verse 17, look at it. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Sharing Christ's suffering ends up sharing with his glory. We didn't do any of that in our start, but as the Spirit comes into us, he does all of this as we journey on. And our Christian assurance comes not because there is no suffering and no, not because there is no sin, but the battle reveals more and more who we are in Him. No wonder the Spirit calls us to call God Abba Father. Now, are we sharing Christ's suffering? Are you sharing Christ's suffering? Am I sharing Christ's suffering? Because on that day, we will share in His glory and His resurrected body. So as I want to close this time and consider what the Holy Spirit has done, I'm going to ask this question. If, if there's anyone here saying that you're not yet in Jesus, has not called Him your Lord, don't have this new position, this new condition, you don't have a new obligation, then can I plea with you, if there is anyone, not to have one more day without Christ or His Spirit. I want to try another day just by the law and by good works. We're going to end in a terrible position. Let the MRI of the Word of God chops into us bit by bit to reveal to us we are so desperate for Christ. And when we come to Him, let the Spirit in us assure us that we're never that bad that Christ cannot save us. And that is the interesting... Or, um, it's interesting even the right word. It's the kind of tension that Christian has. And that's where the assurance comes in. But if we are, if we are Christian... Let me just close with this. That may we never lose sight of the assurance of the verse 1 that we begin with, that those who are in Christ have no condemnation. On the day that we sin and we fall away from the Lord, that we repent and we grieve and we desperately run back to God for forgiveness, but that we'll cling on to our Lord and not let the devil come in and say, you know what? I think you're too lousy. You've said too many forgiveness, uh, repentance prayer. You're hopeless. Because Paul's point in chapter 8 is there is no condemnation in Christ, but assurance is given in the spirit of those who are in Christ. Let's close this time in prayer as we thank God for assurance. Father, we thank you that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
Instead, we have a new position of sonship in Him. We've been given a new condition that desires to please you. We have a new obligation that we want because it leads us away from sin and to you calling you our Father. And even furthermore, when Christ returns, that we will be co-heirs with Him. So Father, we thank you in the midst of our confrontation with our sins and struggles. We can find assurance as we call out to you as Father, as we lean on Christ our Savior, as we trust and lean and depend on the Holy Spirit that is living in us and leading us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.